The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are those of the producer and those appearing in this show and do not necessarily represent the views of Dairy Cam, the town of Dairy, or any of its staff or affiliates. I can't help but feel good. I can't help but feel fine. Everything is in its place and all of it is mine. Everybody. My name is Thomas Donovan. I am here with my co-host, Gail Brenner-Nastasia, author of The Fruit You'll Never See. A great book, by the way. <laughs> we want to welcome you to our show, All Things Recovery, currently sponsored by Sobriety Centers of New Hampshire. Here we discuss all topics regarding mental health, substance abuse, treatment options, and the mental health system itself. We will cover all these topics by inviting guests from all facets of recovery, treatment, enforcement, and policy. The door is wide open, and we want to be a resource. We take topic suggestions, and we always welcome feedback. This show is dedicated to my friend and recovery warrior, Craig Barnaby, who dedicated his life to the well-being of others. Today on our show, we have our, we're fortunate to have our guest, Casey Ruby, a recovery support ninja. <laughs> I love that thing. Me too. So, Casey, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, yeah. introduce yourself? First off, uh, Tom and Gail, it's nice to see you both, and thanks for having me, and I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm in recovery. I'd say I'm in my early 30s, oh, sorry, uh, 53 at this point. Um, my my journey in addiction, uh, like where I have to start, had to start seeking treatment was uh, like in my, like like the beginning of my 40s. Uh, and at which point I went through phases where you know I went through an opiate phase, and then mm. at some point I was able to put down that drug of choice. Uh, by the time that was out of my life, I started drinking pretty heavily, and then ultimately towards the end of my 40s, alcohol is what is what took my legs out from under me. And so for the first time, I found myself having to uh, having to ask for help uh, in a professional way, like to go to a detox mm. physically. Like I got to the point where uh, I couldn't hold my fork in the morning to eat my breakfast without shaking. Yeah. You know, so I knew that at that point it was a physical addiction. I had to go ahead and uh, get this thing dealt with. And that's kind of where uh, the journey began for me. It's a lot of people um, will refer to their, you know, sort of like drunkalog is kind of like it's their story. And for me, it's, you know, the way I see it is if all of our stories are like rocks in a bag on our back and we throw all our rocks out on the floor, they're different sizes and shapes. But at some point, all of our stories converge when this thing has its... Uh, as it's like put on our throat, right? Where we have to ask for help. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the, you know, the convergence of that happens. Um, and so in 2018, I ended up going to uh, my first detox. Um, I detoxed in Georgetown and then I went to a, 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 a next level of care, which is CSS mm. at a program out in Ashby. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think I had the reservations that a lot of people have, you know, there's a part of me that was like, Am I really an alcoholic? You know, maybe I just got depressed. Maybe, uh, you know, it's too, like, am I really not going to be able to have a glass of champagne at New Year's ever? Like, is that really the case for me? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I had to kind of, like, ferret some of that stuff out. Um, but ultimately, it became part of my story, right? Like, uh, you know, the few relapses that I had, it took me five times for it to actually Did spit. You? And Did you it, go to treatment all those times? Yeah, so I went to treatment every single time. And fortunately, after my first time, like, I'm one of those guys, I thrive in treatment. I do really well. Because, you know... At the, I did, too. At the end of the day, you know, like, out there, there's not a lot of people talking about anything that really matters. And when you go into a treatment environment, like, it's you know, you're in, you're at a place where people have, like, 
they've kind of gotten to the end where they're like running out of solutions, like they need, they need actual help. So you're kind of forced to actually talk about things that matter. Like I remember one of the first meetings I went to, um, I heard a guy say, you know, my name is so-and-so and, uh, and I'm grateful to be blessed with the gift of alcoholism, right? Yeah. And I remember wow. thinking like, oh, what? what do you like, mean by that? This, this guy's <laughs> full of it. You know what I mean? Like, what are you blessed? And it's taken me like this long to truly understand what this guy meant, right? Because without alcoholism, like I'd be out there still focusing on things that really didn't matter. Yeah, things that just okay. preoccupied me, you know, in YouTube rabbit holes and like Facebook feed, yeah. uh, that Different. whole thing. Well, yeah, and where else can you go that people are actually going to give you the floor? Yeah. Or, that, or that they're going to talk about things that matter. Things that matter. Right. And so, you know, you come into a treatment facility and all of a sudden you have to you have to look at things like trauma, right? If, like, yeah. like, what was the trauma? Like, what has contributed to, you know, growing up early in life, the things that, you know, help me build my defenses that I have up, you know, and that end up expressing themselves in all sorts of crazy ways throughout my behavior up until I get to the point where something like grabs me by the throat and stops me yeah. from, from behaving and said, no, no, you can't do this anymore. You have to deal with things that really What's happen. impacting the vodka? Yeah, absolutely, right? Because those things shape, you know, they shape yeah. your behavior over the course of time and that, yeah. you know, expresses itself. Um, there was a, there's a famous psychologist, uh, Gaber Matt, I think his name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And I heard him one point talk about uh, dealing with trauma. And I've learned that in order to truly get into recovery, like you have to deal with trauma. And he talks about big T trauma and little T trauma, yeah. right? And which was really interesting for me because the trauma that I had was not obvious. And so like big T trauma, you get things like physical abuse, sexual yeah. abuse, abandonment, those sorts of things that it's like pretty obvious those are things that you have to deal with. But the little T trauma are more like needs that you never got as a child, yeah. like things that you, you know, you never got school, you didn't yeah. bond with a certain parent. Stages of development. Identify with both. Right. Well, when <laughs> he was talking, and I was thinking. Big G and little G. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking about that as he was talking. Yeah. Like, yeah. Daryl yeah. has had some experience. Yeah. But, and, and we've talked a lot about this on the show. Mm -hmm. You know, if I have things that are that are making me uncomfortable or un, like I don't fit, then I'm going to use things to feel better. Yeah. Right. And that's what happens. That's yeah. what I did. Absolutely. I mean, it's a coping mechanism, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, like after I, I did the recovery work, so there's like, you know, there's there's the process of getting sober, right? And I've heard people, you know, categorize it as uh, being miserably undrunk, right? If you don't actually do the work to get you into right. like relief, like ultimately if I can't, if I'm not comfortable in my own skin yeah. sober, then I'm doomed. You know, then drinking is, is something that I see as something, something I can't do. It's like something that's been taken away from me. And through the process of recovery, like I'm at the point where it's like, why would I ever want to? Like I wouldn't, yeah. I would never want to feel the way that I felt again. Like right. life is so much better now. You know, it's like um, it becomes a barrier to life. Oh, it's definitely hundred percent, hundred percent. No, I wasn't living. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of people that yeah. that, that yeah. just want to get the the consequences of of actively drinking alcohol behind them. And they just kind of want to get back to, you know, being content with YouTube rabbit holes and right. all that stuff. And for me, none of that, none of that worked. Like I had to, well, what I ended up finding was this whole new sense of purpose in life, which, you know, like there's nothing that I'm trying to get back that I had before, you know, it's yeah. like, it's a whole new direction. And it was such a life altering, changing experience that to have an opportunity to have part of my story 
inspire someone else to, yeah. you know, to, to go through the process of recovery. And that means like digging deep, you know, getting into stuff that's not always easy to get into. So right. before, before you talk about that, speaking of what you were, what you had before, not trying to get anything back. So you didn't start out in the recovery field. Like you didn't start out with this idea of wanting to be in your position as a as a recovery support ninja, you were you had a whole different career. I want to hear a little bit about well, that change. Rec- I'd like to know where recovery ninja comes from, but but start with the you know point. <laughs> um, so before I was a I was a graphic design uh, developer, right? So graphic design for the apparel industry. So uh, it started off at age eighteen. I worked at a screen printing company, and from there, and very successful. Very, yes, yeah, I know. very successful. I I ended up. Um, I'm kind of one of those like go big or go home kind of guys. And so I did really well, like in the creative part, I was able to yeah. take these creative ideas, um, work them into these, uh, into, you know, brand embellishments on shirts, like print techniques. I've got my name on a couple of patents that, you know, for the company. And ultimately I did really well where um, my work started becoming coveted by these brands and ended up uh, working in Manhattan, you know, making $250,000 a year. Yeah. Working on M&M's clothing line, like Were you a creative happy? director. You know, that's that's a funny question. You would think that I would be. You know, at, you know, at 20, 20 grand a month, just going right into your account. And uh, and I thought that that would make me happy. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it wasn't. Like I still had this feeling, like these guys are all idiots. I could do this better myself. You know. Yeah. Um, but that fueled me. Like it was. Um, if if monetary was my goal. Uh, mm-hmm. Financial success, I could have continued to do that. I, I yeah. you, know, you know, from a from a money standpoint, would be doing could be very well and very well set up. But I, I'm just not built for that. Like, I need to do something more. Yeah. And ultimately, what was driving that, or or the the fuel for that drive, was if you boil it all down. And I learned this doing the work, was I was trying to gain approval from my father. You know? Yeah, and right. that's truly what it ended up being. And so, yeah. fear is a fuel. Um, you can do a lot if, if you know, sort of those outside things are, really, yeah. are the most important thing to you. And those just aren't the most important thing to me. Finding out who you really are. Who I am and how I can contribute, uh, yeah. you know, in a way that is meaningful for me and for other people. But when you got sober, you didn't stop graphic design no i try no i tried uh i tried doing them both um and what i found out is that when when that source of fuel is gone um yeah i just ended up in a position where i was it was just a job and i was going to this job and if i'm if i'm not contributing the way that that i had before or if i don't have the same sort of investment investment into this uh into this profession then i'm not giving them my best uh they're certainly not you know did you walk away from that field yeah, I did. That's um, a perfect segue into what we right. were just talking about before exactly. we started the show right. about the money and you know the yeah. industry and how exactly. So it all came. Uh, it, it all came. So I ended up a company uh, moved me to Chicago to. Um, uh, it was in the same field, the industry, and you know they they paid me a good salary and and I was very clear to the guy when he moved me. I said, Hey, listen, I just want you to know, Danny, I really appreciate this, this is a great opportunity. I said, but uh, at two years sober, I'm going to go work in the recovery field. I'm like, that's yeah. what I want to do. So I was honest with him up front. And uh, so I was there for a year. And uh, sure enough, on my two years, I went ahead and started working in recovery. And we had we had to like uh, 
make it so that financially it would make sense. So that yeah. I could I could do this for obviously what's going to be a lot less money. Yeah. An entry level position at 53 years old, you know, working oh, in the recovery field. Um, yeah. But we were able to figure it out, make it work. So right. yeah. So I've been doing that since, and now so I'm kind of figuring out. Uh, I have a job that means more to me than any any job I've ever had or, mm. or anything. It's you know to be able to be part of that process to to be able to see like people come in um, and you know some of the worst positions they'll ever be in their life and then you know be able to gain like a spark of hope yeah that's for me it kind of all started with that like spark of hope yeah. and then build on that you know and you get like you know people in these groups where you start like working on group dynamics and you can get people to get their defenses down and be a little yeah. bit vulnerable yeah and that happens other people will rally around them and you just every time that exchange takes place like these bonds grow deeper and deeper yeah uh, and it becomes this really positive uplifting uh, connection yeah, isn't it? for sure so Anywhere, yeah. everywhere, connection is key. Yeah. Yeah, everywhere. Relationships, yeah. it's all of them. For sure. And um, so now it's interesting because I'm, 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 the process of recovery was so incredibly life-changing for me. And to be able to work with people and, and, be, and be any part of that process for them, you know, you know without, trying to, um, without trying to project my experience onto other right. people, but parts of my story will resonate. You know, they'll say, like, they'll relate to the way that I felt because of a certain way that I behaved. Yeah. And um, and at the end of the day, uh, I'm I'm blessed and grateful. Like sometimes I'm so grateful, like I'm on the verge of tears. You know, it's the gratitude that this is now all available to me. Right. Um, and then there's the the business of recovery, which is you know working in a treatment center, which you start to kind of find out. Yeah. And so some of that there's a little bit of conflict sometimes. You're like ah, you know, this might not be the best thing for this person, but from a business standpoint, I can see why the company wants to right. do this. And so. You know, you kind of like you're trying to decide how can I best serve um, this field with this, you know, this epidemic, this right. going on uh, in these crisis and, you know, kids that are dropping dead left and right. Like, how can I best apply myself in this field in a way that I could I can earn a living? Um, I'm certainly not trying to get rich. Right. Uh, Good. Without having to compromise. Because you Seriously. Without having to compromise. Well, I think that's what Tom has grappled with. I mean, yeah. the three of us, I don't work in the recovery field. Right. I don't because I want to make money. And I mean, I, I work with people, yeah. for, you know, I yeah. do all the time. But probably as much as I work. But I work there with is people, such but. a business side to the business that, that isn't always ethically appropriate. Yeah. But it's necessary, you know, because if they don't make money. But there are organizations that I've worked for, because I've worked for a bunch. I've been around, I've been doing this for 10 years now. I can't believe it. Yeah. But I've seen, you know, some businesses that do it right. Yeah. But some businesses just want the money. And when I say that, they bring in people that shouldn't be in there. Yeah. Or they don't allow people that need help, they won't bring them in because they don't have the money or the Right. So do you think there's another way to do it? I mean, is there another option? There is, you know, I work, well, I'm going to give a plug for sobriety centers because that's where I'm currently employed. And, and I have to say that it's a place where they bring, first of all, they don't care if you have insurance. They do have to take insurance, mm -hmm. but I've seen them keep people when they don't. Right. And I've seen them focus more on the recovery aspect as opposed to, your insurance and bank account. Right. And they don't throw people out that relapse. They mm. give people chances. You know, and I think if you do it ethically, there's enough work out there. Yeah. There's plenty of work. I was it's just talking to my director today. 
you can, if, you, if your intention is to help people and do it right, you will make money. Because pe your reputation in this field is everything. Yeah. And when people know that you have a good, we were just talking about an organization that we won't get into a name, but the- Integrity. But the integrity piece, when everybody you know, from the clinical world knew that that organization was not a corporate, they won't refer to that. Right. The reputation is big. Yeah, the the whole referent part of this thing is is pretty interesting, and I've mm. I've come to realize that that's a really big part of this business. Um, you know, there I've seen treatment centers that were uh, that were ready to you know to break into PHP IOP level of care on mm. top, and then they realized that they were making more from uh, from referrals on the outside than they were as taking on the overhead of of those. So they just continued yeah. to do the referral thing, mm. and the more I see how the referral works. Uh, and also the, uh, the the corporate company in one part of the country with multiple centers in various states. Yeah. Um, I've seen them fly people in from out of state and then yeah. sort of hold them hostage, right? Yeah. Uh, and I've seen people that have come into a treatment center, um, had a really good experience, and then towards the end they say, no, we actually want you to do 30 more days at this other treatment right. facility before we fly you home. And now there's this whole like, you know, this person's got to figure out how to walk back to Oklahoma and their experience in treatment is not going to be. How about those places that just dump people on beaches? And they, they don't have beach, yeah. they don't have a foundation where they live. Right. So that's it's kind but, of yeah. pointless. Yeah, hundred percent. So like, there's part of me, you know, if you work at a center. There's part of me that wants to say, don't get on a plane ever for these guys. Right. But on the other hand, it's like you're, you know, you're you're in, in the financial interest of the organization you're working for. That's kind of going against. So it's like right. it's it's t it's a tough call. Um, it is a tough call. But you do, I just, I want to do right by the people who are trying to get better. And that truly is about, about offering uh, a glimpse into what my experience was like and just how profound yeah. it has changed my life and to sort of like let them know that like, like this is all available to you. You know, it's all available to you. I worked for an organization once and, um, and I was a director and they kept saying, let's do referrals, bring them in because they wanted to get the money for them. Yeah. They kept saying, well, you don't have the staff. Yeah. support them yes. well let's yeah exactly <laughs> let's just keep doing referrals and i said no yeah so it ended up coming to a head of course at one point yeah you know because i'm like no i'm not if i don't have a staff person or, or this person doesn't have a one-on-one -on -one with a counselor and get appropriate care then it's not appropriate to do that yeah so you worked in mass mm -hmm. and new hampshire yes you've worked in mass and Illinois. chicago oh, yeah yeah how do you feel? I mean, I think Mass and New Hampshire are somewhat comparable, except that I think Mass probably offers. Mass has a lot more and has regulation. Right. Mass, I am one that I like regulation because then the clients, for the most part, are guaranteed to get the majority of what they need. Mm. New Hampshire has. And you're a rule follower. And I'm a rule follower <laughs> to a T. And, and sometimes that's a, you know, to a fault. Yeah. But. Um, in New Hampshire, there is less services, but less regulation. Right. New Hampshire, to be mindful, people should do their homework when they go to look for treatment mm -hmm. because anybody can open up. You don't need a license to open up a treatment center in New Hampshire. You need licensed people to work there. Yeah. But anybody could own it. You know, and, and what's interesting is you talk about, like, um, alcoholics and, and addicts typically, I mean, there's some pretty smart, you know, they're really they're pretty yeah, savvy, savvy people in that group. And so somebody who uh, who has, a, you know, a decent business sense that, you know, may have been in their drug trade or whatever it was that they did, yeah. 
you know, when they get sober, um, ego becomes another drug of choice for a lot of yeah. people, you see. And so, you know, if they, you know, they'll have the ability to open. I think a lot of people might start with like a sober house, right? And yeah. then that will change. We were just talking about that. You know, into something else. And so somebody who could be very charismatic, uh, but not necessarily uh, be in the best interest of the, of the people. Oh, money's addiction. Money's addiction, right. Yeah, money, adoration, all that stuff. So yeah. well, how does it, how, how is Illinois in comparison? Does it compare? So Illinois, it's, um, it's, it's similar. The places there, the, the good facilities tend to offer like four levels of care, right? So ATS, CSS, really? HP, yeah, and IOP. The place that I worked at, fortunately, was it had the four levels of care. So I had a, you right. know, I got an opportunity to work on all four, all four levels. And, uh, you know, I was able to bond with people that would come in from the detox side of it and sort of as you, uh, you know, like, like, Ultimately, I found out that continuing care uh, was what I needed in order to, like, mm -hmm. put, you know, like to really get this thing. You need time to change. Of course, right. it's time. So I, I kind of equate it to I'd go into a 30-day program, and uh, you know, and they they say, well, what are your plans now? I'd be like, what do you mean? I just did 30 days. Like, I'll go to meetings. You know, I'll get a sponsor, and I'd go to some meetings, and you know, I'd I'd sneak in, sit in the back, and then three minutes before the meeting was up, I'd tiptoe out because God forbid anybody talked to me, right? And um, and so I kind of equated it to like jumping back into life, like live fire, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, were you looking for your relapse prevention plan? Like I forgot to put it in my pocket. Yeah. And it just wasn't working because, you know, I'd have myself in a headspace that may not have been the best, driving by a liquor store, oh, you know. Yeah. Which takes a long time. And ultimately so. I'd relapse. And so the... the Union behaviors takes, I think. Well, the last time uh, that, I, that I did treatment, I was, I mean, I was suicidal in my bed. I was like, you know, I... Thrive in treatment. I love this place. I've, you know, I've been here. This is my fifth time here. Um, I do, you know, I do everything that I can, and I still end up drinking, right? Yeah. And so I was, I was sort of like mentally preparing for a relapse, and then subsequently, subsequently planning a way just to end this whole thing, right? Yeah. And that became my true moment of like surrender. And I was like, you know what? I don't know how to do this. Like, like. I heard someone say when it came to alcohol, they knew that they had no control, that alcohol mm -hmm. was the boss. But for some reason, when it came to their recovery, they thought they had all the answers. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I keep thinking I know what's best for me, and I clearly don't. Right. Like, right. Five times I've been here. And so that's when I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do whatever they say. I'm going to give myself a year. I haven't got anything to offer an employer. I haven't got anything to offer a romantic relationship. Like, I've got nothing to offer. I'm just going to focus on this for a year. And... By doing that, what I did was I established this really healthy routine in recovery, yeah. and I would start feathering life into that, right? right. So it's yeah. like, all right, I've got this thing going, you know, I'm, I'm doing my step work, I've got regular meetings regularly, and, you know, all right, give me my phone. Well, that is a thing. I mean, yeah. they do say, you know, stay out of relationships for a year, right. you know, don't make any major decisions in a year i mean that's well i would i would get out of treatment and just try to go back to a relationship that i was already in that it was you know was was in shambles and i just realized like i can't i can't focus on anything else anything other than just getting sober and being in recovery and figuring out how to be comfortable in my skin without putting booze in my mouth right? and avoid the additional stress 100 percent. yeah so so feathering life into this new yeah. routine was the way that was, I was finally able to transition. So you get out of treatment and you had to do aftercare is what you're saying. Got out of treatment uh, and then, well, stayed in treatment. I just went to further levels of care, right? right. PHP, IOP. Uh, I ended up staying um, for like, after like six months, they were kicking me out because insurance wasn't paying them anymore. Yeah. And then I went to a structured sober house uh, in North Reading, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I did that, yeah, for the rest of the year. 
and it was uh, that was finally the, the missing piece for me. So, so continue continuing your treatment afterwards or going further in treatment. Like I'm a big yeah. advocate of it. Um, you didn't do it alone. Yeah, I did not do it alone at all. And uh, yeah, so I'm a huge uh, advocate for that. And I just you know I try to I try to let that my experience um, at least give a little bit of clarity to somebody who might be struggling. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I find out that a lot of people sort of resonate with the things that I'm, you know, the things that I went through are things that they're also. Me too, which is why I wrote the book. Yeah. So, so you said that you were kind of trying to figure out where you're best utilized or your whatever, you know, you plan to do next. How do you feel about that now in terms of what you're doing and where you're going? Yeah. Well, now I think um, working for an organization at, you know, at say an entry level, it's Mm -hmm. like you don't, like you don't have much of an opportunity to uh, to make any decisions regarding what these people right. are doing. Like, all I can do is bring my uh, my energy, my enthusiasm, uh, my attitude, my experience, um, and apply it to the people I deal with every day. Right. Uh, where I tend to do best is, you know, like I run groups. Like on the on my shift is another group. So those. How do you to, like that? I love it, and they're they're well received. Um, do they have a curriculum? Just curious. They they do. Um, it kind of comes from a from a psychology website that they kind of print out, and yeah. it's it's you know it's 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 weird because it's um it's it's not really recovery or or, or substance use based, but it's more like anger management stuff like that, which is great because it's all part of it. So yeah. generally, what I'll do is I'll take it like as a topic, and I'll and I'll I'll like give them a part of the experience, my experience that related to anger management, how it affected me in recovery. So you take it and make it your own. Yeah, and, and we'll end up, and it's- Which is it's, probably why it's so well received. Exactly. Yeah, and it's not a, I mean, it's not a, it's not a monologue, it's dialogue. So, you know, we kind yeah. of, everybody gets involved and I'll ask other people, if, you know, if they've had experiences and it. And so at the end of it, it's like everyone sort of, uh, they've been able to contribute to the group as much. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's what I, it's what I do best and it's what I like doing. How big are the groups? Uh, it can be anywhere from, depending on the census, but it could be, you know, five people up to 25 people. The, the, the key is is engagement. engagement, getting that engagement, make it, so they feel like the group is there. Yeah, 100%. They, they'll come out and they'll say, like, we don't like the groups where we feel talked at. Exactly. We like the ones that we feel like we're right? participating in, right? Yeah. <laughs> when I run my groups, I, I always just throw out questions. Yeah. So we went through, we, we have a tiny little bit of time left, yeah. but we went through this whole thing without talking about AA at all. That's the uh-huh. first time we Well, we kind of did in a way. But, well, I mean, we, we didn't. We much. didn't. I mean, yeah. we specifically, we right. usually do in terms of like a recovery, you know, but, process, like a, a way to go. Yeah. But we talked about living a program. Living a program. Living a program is the most important thing. Well, I think in, it's some point somebody asked me something like, "What's like? What do I think is the most effective modality?" Right? And for me, like, I took some from everything. Right? Yeah. I, I was able to take a lot of it. Yeah. Like AA for me, like the critical stuff for me was the step order, mm-hmm. yeah. like the fourth, the fifth. It's the program of recovery. That's critical for everybody. Let's tell people that you got to deal with yours. And I had no idea, like, until like you know. Until I actually got into the work, like the resentment part of the of, yeah. of the step four, like talk about like really on you know like peeling that onion you know open cracking that yeah. thing open. And I just want to say one last thing too. Well, in my recovery process, it was like twelve years. I never dealt with it. I shared my stuff, mm. and once I did that, it was so freeing. Yeah. And I fought that for a long time. Yeah. Well, anyways, 
Casey, it's amazing. Thank you for sharing your experience. Really well, enjoyed it. Thank you for having yeah. me. I'm glad you came. I mean, we I told you we could just keep going for. Yeah, we definitely. We we'll just have to have you. <laughs> no, because I think it's important that people see that. Yes. People do get recovered. Yes. This is my process, and maybe you might. Well, and we'll see where you go next. Exactly. Exactly. So in closing, um, don't forget to please continue to tune in. We are here to provide resources. Don't forget, if you are in crisis, dial 911. To seek services, call 211. And if you are suicidal, call the national hotline, the 988, the Suicide and Crisis Line. Don't forget to ask for help, seek support. And remember, don't do this recovery thing alone. And if you have a suggestion for a show, then please reach out, I think, on the Absolutely. website. Did we put that up? We'll have to make sure that comes in. expressed in this presentation are those of the producer and those appearing in this show and do not necessarily represent the views of Dairy Cam, the town of Dairy, or any of its staff or affiliates.